Welcome to the One Giant Podcast, a sportscaster featured podcast covering all things New York football giants. Live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning on Sportscaster, bringing balance to the analytics and emotions of covering Big Blue. Here are your hosts, Adam Armbrecht and Andy Mekowitz. And with that, we, of course, welcome you back into a fresh episode of OGP with myself, Adam Armbrecht, and as always, joined by the healthy, wealthy, and wise, Mr. Andy Makowitz. You know, Adam, you say healthy, and the only reason why I'm healthy is because I went to the dentist yesterday, and I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Adam, uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily give free ads on this podcast, but I went to this new dentist who has a 60-inch flat screen up on the wall, you know, okay. headphone, wireless headphones that you look up and you can watch thing, you know, anything that you want on Netflix while you're getting, getting your teeth done. It, it's a new wave, man. I highly recommend going to the dentist now. Any concern that while being given physical pain inside your mouth, you're also going to get physical pain on your face should that amazing huge TV just come crashing down upon you? Oh, don't worry. They, they give you a pair of sunglasses just in case. You know what I mean? Ah. So you're, you're totally safe. Yep. No, listen, safety first. Good for you, buddy. Getting the checkups done, even, uh, you know, even in times when maybe you let some things fall by the wayside. Also, uh, what does the K stand for in your name? There, I mean, there is no K, but I like oh. you throwing throwing out there. It, coincidentally, Adam, I don't have a middle initial. I don't have a middle name. My parents said, you're already stuck with two names. You can't decide why I give you a third. Are you are you the uh, youngest of the of the family? I am youngest of yep. three. Yeah. Now I still got a middle name, so that means my parents were holding on to a little bit of love by the time they got down to the third child. For you guys, eh, you know, it, it was all over for me. They let me. Yeah. They let me run free. <laughs> and, and look at the results, people. And here we are, baby. You don't, you don't get quality results like that by being hyper focused on all of your children. That got off the rails a little bit to start, but let's go ahead and dive in on what is the midweek show for OGP. Obviously, there's, there actually is some nice news and notes around the Giants. Some moves are going to get made here. Some chances for uh, optimism on the offensive side of the ball. But we're coming off of the, the tradition, right? Tuesday night football, as we all know. I I did not have the Tennessee Titans absolutely destroying the Bills after their hiatus last playing on September 27th. So they blow out the Bills last night. Still great to see some football. But uh, on the tail end of that, you have a coach firing following uh, Sunday's games there in Atlanta. You've also got some player releases. And I know, Andy, that you, uh, keeping your pulse on the New York football Giants fan base, have heard some things around the NFL. and one recently released Le'Veon Bell. Well, Adam, it's natural. Anytime a player gets released, it's only human natural. It's yes, exactly. That a fan base all of a sudden envisions that player in that uniform and says, we got to go out and get that guy, you know, take Mohamed Sanu a couple weeks ago, gets released by the Patriots, then signs with the 49ers gets released by the 49ers. Every giant fans like we need Mohamed Sanu. Like he Mm -hmm. is the guy and they start building themselves up. You know, around the league, right after the game, you know, uh, there were some uh, whispers around the league that the Jets were actively trying to trade their star running back, Le'Veon Bell. Um, Because of his inflated and bloated contract, the fact that he's unhappy, the fact he has no production on a very, very terrible team, you know, he was going to be lucky to get a conditional seventh round pick out of it. Mm -hmm. Nothing actually materialized because no one wanted to take on a good portion of the contract with Le'Veon. And the New York Jets released Le'Veon Bell yesterday evening. And, you know, you and I were texting back and forth, just like, oh, kind of footnote, Le'Veon Bell gets released. 
And then, you know, I just like go on Twitter and I go on social media and it's like the five potential landing spots for Le'Veon Bell. And shockingly, the Giants appeared in them more often than not. And Adam, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Please explain to me why the New York Giants show up on the list of the five teams that should be looking at Le'Veon Bell. Well, and as my buddy, who is a Jets fan, said, we, we talked about it last night during the game as well through text, and he goes, yeah, they released Bell. He was like, so you release Bell, but Adam Gase is still your head coach. Like, he was like, I can't figure out what's happening with my team right now. Um, but on, but on, the, on the Bell side of things, listen, do, do I think that, that Bell still has value to a team in the league? A hundred percent. You got to remember, Le'Veon Bell was signed to the Jets on the last GM's tab. So he's brought in there. Now it's a holdover. And Adam Gase, at the time when they when they got him, they didn't he didn't want him, right? He didn't want to have that much money tied up into a running back, but they went ahead and did it anyway. Now you roll over to Douglas, and Douglas is trying to correct some of those past mistakes. So that's why this move finally comes. And ultimately, when you're in the Jets position, you haven't won a game yet this season. It's about trying to build, right, for the years to come. That may sound familiar. Why? Because that's what the Giants are doing. They also do not have a win this season, and they are building for the years to come. We brought in Devontae Freeman, which is which is a nice little veteran piece to supplement the rest of the running back room. And other teams, championship-level aspiring teams who maybe suffer an injury at the running back position, there's a couple of them that, uh, that come to mind, they may look at Bell. It doesn't make any sense for the Giants. I don't know how much the fan base, you know, relative to the media speculating around it, but if there's the, any portion of the fan base out there that thinks that Le'Veon Bell should be brought into the Giants, it's not. this isn't about even Bell. It's just about why would you do that in a year where you have so much young talent you're trying to grow with? So the, I, I was thinking about this too because I felt the exact same way that you did about where the Giants should go with this. You know, the 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 counter argument or the reason why the Giants should bring in Bell has a, a couple of different points that I wanted to to get your perspective on. The first one is look, anytime that you can bring in a veteran at the veteran minimum who's still productive and can and can perform and play, mm-hmm. you should bring him in because it helps the team overall. Yep. The set the second piece of it is you're really looking at Daniel Jones and to find out if he is the quarterback of the future. If you have the ability to go get more talent around him to get a better sample size and evaluation of Daniel Jones for the rest of the year, you go do that. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece of it is, and this one's a little bit amorphous, but who knows, is you're still uncertain about the health and the future of Saquon Barkley. You only signed Devonta Freeman on a one-year deal. You you have Deion Lewis on a short-term deal. Wayne Gallman is still on a rookie contract. Is there a scenario next year where potentially Le'Veon Bell could be on the roster past this year for a rebuilding Giants team, and you have some kind of combination of Saquon and Le'Veon? Now, I, I know that sounds crazy, but at the end of the day, those are three counterpoints where I say, I, I, I'm not going to be mad if they bring Le'Veon Bell in, but there's just so many other areas that we need help. Yeah, and maybe it's more that too. I guess you would say if you're if you're the Giants and you're going to bring in a player like Lev Bell, and by the way, you said on the veterans minimum, I don't know that that's the scenario he comes in on. Just because we think nobody had any interest in him, they didn't have any interest in him at that price point that the Jets were paying him. Teams will still offer him some form of a contract, a reasonable one, right? If Devontae Freeman's contract was an incentive-laden $3 million contract from the Giants, a guy who wasn't even in the league, you know, Le'Veon Bell, who for all intents and purposes maybe hasn't been in the league this year, but 
you know, <laughs> he's going to probably, you're probably going to be talking about closer to four or five with incentives up to maybe six. You know what I mean? There could be some real money getting spent on a running back like that over what will be the last uh, 11 games here of the season. And that, so that's as much a factor for me from the giant side of it as well. And, and then the little footnote, when you talk about the running backs, I, I will say, He's the best like-for-like replacement for a Saquon Barkley in terms of being multifaceted, right? Both running and receiving. We know the receiving, uh, the receivers have had their issues here on the Giants as well. But we're going to touch on this a little bit later on. Has Freeman been okay and serviceable? Certainly. What I've really liked is that we've seen after that first week where Freeman came in and Gallman got a big chunk of snaps because Freeman wasn't ready yet. Now in the last couple of games, though, Goldman's still ticking up. 10 carries two weeks ago, 12 in this past one. And he's actually averaging on 15 carries, small sample size on the season. He's actually averaging five yards a carry and is showing real power between the tackles. So while I don't, you know, while I think having one guy that does more things is better, Having a few guys like the Giants do right now that you can supplement and rotate in is fine by me, and that completely overlooks the piece around Le'Veon Bell and maybe being a bit of a malcontent on a bad roster, right? Yeah, and, and the other piece of it is, like, why would Le'Veon Bell want to come to the Giants? The Giants are 0-5. They're not going to the playoffs. So, like, it takes two right. to tango in a situation like this. So the only scenario where the Giants even are in the realm of possibility here is he doesn't want to move his stuff, like, out of the the you know MetLife Stadium, he likes the the apartment right. that he got. He just got new duvet covers, and like he really likes his setup from from uh, IKEA and West Elm that he has in his apartment in Hoboken. Like, the, there's no real scenario for him to come here unless he looks at it and says, "This is an opportunity for me to be a one-two with, with Devonta Freeman and reset my market going into next year, where I can then get a multi-year contract." But a guy like Le'Veon, he's getting older. I think he's 28 years old. He's going to want to go to a team that's ready to win now where he can be a contributing factor to that. And also he can reset his market on a team that also is being competitive right now, right? Like right. you can sign a, a little one year or remainder of the season deal somewhere, be competitive this year, and then also have no intention of returning to them or put them in a difficult spot, that team to be almost obligated to bring him back, et cetera. So uh, fun to talk. Fun to think about ringing that bell, but I'll go ahead and leave that string just dangling delicately between never my fingers shall, shall touch. Uh, would have been better if I had said that cleanly. In the other areas now, as we turn our attention, of course, to the New York football giants, there are the updates around injuries and roster moves. So big positive. Sterling Shepard is getting close, right? This is the week when he can come back from that three-week uh, IR stint. He's getting healthier. You saw the way a player like Darius Slayton was really able to go off against the Cowboys. And you just think, man, even as bad as the Cowboys secondary is, introducing more dynamic weapons back into this wide receiver core is important. And in that vein, the Giants made a move waving Ratley from the roster and officially elevating Mac to the wide receiver group on the active roster. He will be dressed. You can't, uh, you can only do it once or twice. If he doesn't start in a game, doesn't see reps, he's not active on game day, you can shuffle him between the practice squad and the active roster. He is now officially entrenched, though. You will see him get some reps. What are your thoughts around the new look for this receiver core? Yeah, I mean, listen, Ratley didn't really make an impact, you know, with with, with Golden Tate missing a game with Sterling Shepard out. You, you thought this is an opportunity for Damian Ratley coming over from Cleveland to really show some of that athleticism and speed that, that you know, made teams, you know, oogle at him coming out of, out of college. And we just didn't see that on the field. You know, 
four catches for 63 yards. I think he had eight total targets, so he only was able to haul in about 50% of the balls that were thrown in his direction. And to be honest with you, the most noteworthy play he played was a pass interference penalty against the Cowboys <laughs> that took back a Darius Slayton touchdown. So, like, when you think about his impact, it really has been nothing in terms of catching the ball, and actually it's been a detriment because it took seven off the board. So I'm excited. We have talked, and fans have talked, about – some of the wide receivers that we have on the practice squad, Benjamin Victor, Alex Bachman, and now Austin Dillon gets the, you know, the first call up here to be able to show some things. 6'2", 23 years old. Um, I know he's in a, a little bit more of a, a possession guy. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts about how he fits in in the, in the wide receiver group? Yeah, again, we talked about this even going back to bringing in Golden Tate initially on that contract, right? A little bit of redundancy with what you think Sterling Shepard does well. But right now, and I know it's 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 tricky because you look at it and you say, well, the separation stats hurt you because that's what you lose when you don't have speed guys. But I think that right now, with the as we're going to get into the offensive line and that development, from Daniel Jones' perspective, it's, hey – we want guys that you can get the ball out of your hands quickly to and trust to make those catches, maybe get some yards after the catch and try to move these chains. We're not a big deep down the field team because the time just isn't there for Jones in the pocket to necessarily assess. So while I may have my preferences of how I would traditionally construct a wide receiver room, I'm excited about the idea of bringing in a younger player. It's week. You're going into week six now, so that means you're going to get a nice, good look at him. There's a chance you could get a look at some of these other young guys as the season progresses along. And hopefully, if you talk about even just using some of those rep sample sizes that you had in Ratley, he's going to get looks. He's going to be on the field here. So maybe he gives a new dynamic that complements Shepard well when he comes back from injury and then Slayton. And you start to get this, you know, young core. And, and really, I know I'm leaving Tate out of this mix, and that's not because I have my issues with him you end up with Shepard as kind of the veteran presence over some of these young guys, which I, which I like. Well, and to be honest with you with no Sterling Shepard, uh, potentially upcoming this week mm-hmm. against the Washington football team, you know, this is actually a move that's going to impact play on the field. Sometimes you kind of fill the back end of the roster. You're using it for depth. It's the, in case of emergency break glass, put the guy on the field type of thing you know, Mac is, it, uh, you know, he's going to get some reps when he's out there. You think about how many wide receivers the Giants have at this point with no Ratley. You're talking about Tate, you're talking about CJ Board, and you're talking about Darius Slayton. That's that's all that the Giants really have. So making a move like this, he is going to get looks in the four wide receiver sets, sometimes three wide receiver sets, depending on the setup for the Giants. So it's going to be interesting to see if we can start developing some of this young talent that we've been talking about since we drafted them or since we signed them to the practice squad back over the summer. Yeah, 34 snaps last week for Ratley. So, you, you know, they waved a player that was playing significant minutes for them, minutes, <laughs> significant snaps for them in the course of a game. So, yeah, it had, you're going to have to spread them out somewhere. It doesn't mean, Mac, you're going to get what would be 50% of the snaps this week, but it's going to have to balance somewhere. So you would expect he's at least going to get, you know, 15 to 20 reps on the field, if not more potentially. And that's what I like. If you're going to make a move like this and bring up a young player that you got after the draft, Let's get a look at him. You don't have to do it immediately week one, though. I have been known to call for for choices like that. I do now at this point of the season, 0-5. Let's take a look at some of the young guys and see how they can impact the roster. When we talk about the young guys and this roster, we talk, of course, about the offensive line play. We talk about Daniel Jones and just the state of the offense right now. Colombo, offensive line coach, he came out and said, listen, 
you know, I know we're, we're looking at Thomas and just really getting frustrated at the same time. His problem is really the consistency that he's seeing from Thomas. Cause he's saying we get some really good, aggressive, hard nosed plays from him. And then we get some real bad looks where he's getting blown past by, you know, by the Dallas Cowboys this past week, nine pressures surrendered. That's a little bit difficult to swallow from a, fa- as a fan, but at the same time, like this is what you expect from rookies across the board in a lot of ways, let alone a guy that is more known as a run blocking left tackle than he is a pass blocking left tackle, where in this last game, I think alone, he was up in the 70s in pass protection and then down in the 30s and uh, sorry, reverse that up in the 70s in run blocking down in the 30s in pass protection. And that's that's the difficulty that we're seeing here with him because it's such a wide margin of good and bad, um, you know. And throughout that line, just briefly, throughout that line, we've seen some some spikes from Hernandez, right? We've seen some actually fairly decent play from Cam Fleming. And as the footnote back on that, where everyone wants to beat him up for what could have been the great trick play on the field goal, it's actually uh, the, the QB on that play. Riley Dixon is supposed to make sure that everyone is hundred percent set. He gets super excited to see Evan Ingram uncovered on the outside, wants that ball, wants to throw it. So you may want to get on Cam Fleming there, but it's actually on the punter, the snapper, the holder there to make sure everyone's in a set position. So it's just, it's a, it's a mixed bag right now. And you probably want to hear something better from Colombo, but this is where we are. Where do you, where do you go here? Well, it's, it's tough. Colombo's in a tough spot, right? He has to defend his player. He's a young rookie that's been thrown into the into the fire, you know, to the wolves against some of the most formidable pass rushers in the entire league. So, you know, let's not let's not forget that you're going against, uh, you know, T.J. Watt. You're going against uh, Khalil Mack. You're going against Aaron Donald. You're talking about literally three of the top, maybe five pass rushers. You're talking about going up against Demarcus Lawrence, who at one point was was a was a great, uh, you know rusher of the quarterback who knows jury's still out on where he goes from here but uh Andrew Thomas has given up 28 QB pressures so far this year that's the most of any tackle in the entire league he is giving up a lot of pressures you mentioned how many there were in the last game it felt like they were focusing in and they were really teeing off on on Andrew Thomas and what Colombo said is he's seen some baby steps he'd like to see some leaps and and some real progressions from him what Colombo uh you know the offensive line coach said was He sees Andrew Thomas lunging at defenders because he's really trying to get his hands on them as quickly as possible. When he lunges, it puts him out of position. And, uh, you know, defensive ends have realized this. And more and more, they are doing spin moves and taking advantage of Andrew Thomas coming inside because Andrew Mm -hmm. Thomas is lunging to the outside trying to protect Daniel Jones' blind side. And now all of a sudden, they're spinning inside and they're getting pressure on Daniel Jones. So, they, they've identified the problem, which is a good thing. Now the question is, can they really work with Andrew Thomas over the next couple of weeks to be able to fix this up, shore this up, get him into better position to help protect Daniel Jones so he's not having to roll all pressure away from Andrew Thomas? Yeah, and we talked about how on dropbacks, right, the pressure that Daniel Jones is under, coming into week five, it was around 46% of dropbacks. Now, though, coming out of this one where you want to say now progress, if we want to go on the negative side of it, he was pressured on 19 of 35, over 50%. So, you know, it's still not getting there, and that makes it difficult to look at Daniel Jones and assess behind this line right now. And I know you, as the fan base, as everybody starts to gear up for the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, you have a bit of a a cautionary comparison, I might think, 
Well, Adam, so everyone's like, you know, ring the alarm bell for Daniel Jones. It's Trevor Lawrence time. And listen, Trevor Lawrence is a top talent. He could potentially be a generational talent. I personally think the Giants have far too many holes along all of their roster that I don't know if he instantly makes you a contender. There there are going to be plenty of discussions to be had. It'll probably sort itself out uh, with the way that Daniel Jones plays over the course of the year. However, just if you put things in perspective, you know, you go back to last year and through the first five games of the season, there was another quarterback in a similar position to what Daniel Jones was. Uh, had 11 more yards passing, had a couple more touchdowns, had a couple more interceptions, had a 75 passer rating. Daniel Jones has a 70, so he's five points behind in passer rating. Guy had, you know, 20, 20, 25, 28 yards more rushing. And that, Josh you know, Allen. And, and, and guess what? Yeah, guess what? That's Josh Allen. The, Woo! The, Didn't know it, friends. Didn't know it. Use my brain. And, and, and guess what? Everyone is saying that Daniel Jones is having an, an abject failure of a year, right? And you look at what Josh Allen did. Yeah, a, a couple more touchdowns, about the same, you know, a little bit more passer rating. I think it's one and a half points completion percentage. They're, they're, it, it's not like one is number one in the world and num- one is number 35. They're relatively close. Guess what? The Buffalo Bills, because they were a more complete team, had a four and one record after five games, and the Giants are 0 and five. And guess what? Going into the game last night against the Tennessee Titans, Josh Allen led in passing yards and touchdown passes in all of the AFC. So, like, I, I feel like everyone wants to compare Daniel Jones to people that are further along in their progression that have been around for more years. Like, they're comparing him to Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has had an extra year of playing over Daniel Jones. They compare it to Josh Allen. Josh Allen, the same. And, and to me, like, Listen, I think we need to be able to see this entire year of Daniel Jones to be able to give a referendum on whether or not he should be here. But the people that are calling for his head and saying tank for for Trevor right now, I really don't think they're giving Daniel Jones an opportunity. And by the way, because I've done in the sportscaster NFL news side of things where I get together with guys that cover the Patriots, that cover the Colts, that cover the Ravens, a lot of AFC teams, ironically. But when we get into these NFL talks sometimes on Monday and Thursday night football, a lot of times it, it comes back to this idea of, remember, playing in a major market like New York, right? Everything is that much more ratcheted up. You don't get the grace period of, oh, maybe you're going to take some lumps. Maybe we'll see how you look on the back end of year number two. No, it's when you start week, you know, week four, week three last season for Daniel Jones, the results of you scrambled, ran up the gut for a touchdown and got yourself a W. Amazing. Now we're going to start setting. Now the bar starts to get set. And every week thereafter is about, oh, no, I mate, we're not. Okay, here we. And then coming into this year, it's the exact same thing. The second that you see a fumble, it's automatic. And, th- and listen, there are things that are real and that are issues that Jones has to correct. But as soon as you see any indicator of it, it's automatically, boy, I just don't think it's going to be there for you. I think it's time to move on. I think we should go ahead. And listen, there were people that called possibly, talk about media speculation around Lev Bell. There were articles that floated around there following the week four loss about whether or not they should consider the idea of Ben Daniel Jones in favor of Colt McCoy like it's just this is the nature of East Coast coverage in sports and it's unfortunate because if you don't have players at key positions let alone the quarterback if you don't have a guy that can withstand that like we had in Eli Manning for years and I think we do have in Daniel Jones from a mental makeup that can shatter a guy before they even get a chance to prove what they're worth. And we've heard that from Sam Darnold across the stadium in terms of seeing ghosts last year, right? And some of the ways that he talks, then maybe it's just not a good fit 
to have to deal with what is relative nonsense as you're trying to grow and develop as a QB. Well, and, and, and the problem is you have a couple quarterbacks that come in and right away look amazing. They're 100%. like, he's the guy. And so people think that there's only one way to become a successful NFL quarterback. And that is you get thrown into the fire, you succeed right away, and you never have a problem your entire career. Like people are already, you know, I love what I'm seeing from Justin Herbert. And I think yeah. he's proving a ton of people wrong, including me, who I, I thought he was going to struggle early on in his career. I thought it would take longer for him to progress. He is slinging the ball all over the yard and he looks wonderful, but people are already saying Justin Herbert is the guy. He is the it guy. He is the, the flavor of the week. And he's, he's been in the league for three games. And like, to me, if you're going to anoint him as like the future top five quarterback after three games, when no one has any game film on him from the NFL, like, you know, people just want to be able to have a definitive statement on a quarterback as quickly as possible. So they're already writing Daniel Jones off, even though he's a year and five games into his career and they're already anointing Justin Herbert. Now, Joe Burrow was the number one pick. He's thrown for 300 yards on a bad team. He looks awesome. And like, man, do they really have a good one in Cincinnati? But to that point, I think people just want to make a definitive statement either way on a quarterback. And as quickly as they can, they're happy with their decision. It's the collection of talent. It's what's around all these players as well. That That's what dictates how quickly you can see what they are. I think usually, as long as things are about equal in terms of the roster around them, you tend to have the quality quarterbacks rise to the top. But if you're in really difficult spots, as both QBs are in New York, it's hard to get a sense of that. So, yeah, listen, talk to me in week 13, 14, and I'll, I'll start to, you know, I'll give you what my real sense of Daniel Jones is. If you put Daniel Jones on the Indianapolis Colts tomorrow, Right. Do you think he would look a little bit better against a competent offensive line with, you know, all those weapons on the outside that, that the Colts have with a competent run? Like, well, like, and a great comparable is put him on the Buffalo Bills, right? With a solid offensive line, mobile quarterback, you, you, with a good, decent running game, some injuries there, with a nice complement of wide receivers, right? You brought in Stefan Diggs, a deep threat, like all of those things. I think, listen, do I think that he'd be like for like? Maybe, maybe not. But again, like you said, 70 versus 75 rating. It's You're not that far off the mark from being where Josh Allen was as you move through the paces of a 4-1 and one Buffalo Bills team last year and, and then this year as well. Exactly. And so to me, let's not jump the gun on anything with Daniel Jones. Let's actually give him more than a year to be able to see what we have. He was a rookie last year. And, and we need to note that there is not as much talent around him as there are in some of these other places. And so, you know, to me, I want to be able to see Daniel Jones through this year. And, and guess what, Adam, if we don't win any games and Daniel Jones doesn't look good, then we'll be in position to draft Trevor Lawrence. But if we win four or five games coming down the stretch and he, and we do it because Daniel Jones is, is looking good. Like it, it's tough for me to then all of a sudden pull the pull, you know, pull the carpet out from under him. I'm not going to make decisions on Wednesday that impact me on Friday, right? On Friday morning, I'll understand all the information I have and I'll make those choices. Uh, Listen, let's go ahead. We always like to at least get a little bit ahead of ourselves in terms of perspectives around the Giants. Let's pull it back into what's going on right now. We know that Lorenzo Carter goes out with an injury. We know that O'Shane Ximenez, who didn't look necessarily as sharp as we had hoped early in the season, also goes down with an injury. So the outside linebacking core specifically, getting after after the quarterback on the edge, some of those speed players that we need on this defense, we are lacking right now. There are a couple of options internally, and that's the obvious ones of Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown. Carter Coughlin, my boy. Neither, neither one of these players has sniffed any snaps on the defensive side of the ball. 
They potentially could be an option for Big Blue. But two other guys that are being talked about right now, the first specifically is going to be Trent Harris. And the reason why is he was on the Miami Dolphins last season, 6'2", 240 pounds, played in 11 games, started three, gave you 22 tackles, a forced fumble, two QB hits, and a sack and a half. Familiarity also has ties to New England there with Patrick Graham, with Joe Judge. He has gone through and is going through the COVID-19 testing protocol, and then he's going to get a workout. Came in for a visit on Friday and then could have an opportunity to work out with the team and see if that's a fit. You can talk about Harris if you want. You can talk about the guys on the roster. Where would you like to see the Giants go to replace this depth there at the position? Yeah, I mean, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, Graham likes <laughs> likes Harris in in terms of you know kind of following around, like you said, drafted by the New England Patriots, then moved over to the Miami Dolphins. Now coming in for a visit, he is only twenty five years old. You know, I, I have no problem bringing in young talent that clearly knows the system that Graham wants to play. So if we need someone to get get acclimated quickly, we have that ability rather than uh, you know maybe one of the younger guys that isn't really developed yet. And, and before you touch on our guys, the young guns that we have, I will say the other name, the other name that gets thrown out there, who, who also went through the testing protocol and will get a look from the team, that's Kendall Coleman. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you here. Do you know where Kendall Coleman went to college, Andy? Do I know where Kendall Coleman? I do not. Why, he was an undrafted rookie free agent out of Syracuse, good sir. Shame on you. So uh, he he was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts, cut over the summer. So, you know, hasn't had a chance to really be on a roster and see what he's made of. He also went through the same process. So those are the two players that are in position to at least get a run here and get a tryout with the team. Now, bias aside from your college background, where do you look in terms of Brown, in terms of Coughlin, do you have a preference? The other names, by the way, that weren't brought in at all when talk about replacements are all the old, are all the old guys like Cameron Wake and you know, uh, like Clay Matthews and, and and players of that name, Terrell Suggs. Like these are all the guys that get thrown out there around the two players that specifically have been brought in and both represent youth, which I think is the direction you assume the Giants would go here. Yeah, I think I think we go youth. Uh, it, it's tough. I, I don't mind any of these players coming in. And to your point, you know, Cameron Wake, Ter- Terrell Suggs, like, uh, what are, what are we what are we trying to accomplish with that? Um, Was it 2005? Uh, Jesus. Well, well, it's it's almost to the point of Le'Veon Bell. It's like Le'Veon Bell's 28. He can still contribute. A lot of these guys are 33, 34, 35 years old. And, yeah. you know, for, for a year rental, when we're not really competing, I'd really like to develop and see what this young talent is. If they want to bring in Harris and they want to see what he has and they and they think that in a couple of weeks he may be, be able to be a situational, rotational kind of guy, mm-hmm. that'd be great. Uh, you know, I, I'm willing – you've talked up Carter Coughlin so much to me that I'm really excited to see if he can get some snaps on the field. So we can either give you a pat on the back or we can just shame you and shun you for, for the love and affinity that you've had for Coughlin. <laughs> yeah. I don't know – listen, I'm back at my boy. He's been my play all year, but now we're actually getting to a situation where the proof is going to be in the pudding, and I don't know what I anticipated. I did say, remember, coming into the year, I said I I wanted to see him, by the end of the season, getting 30 to 35% of the defensive snaps. So that's really what he, he could be walking into right now. Interested to see where they think Cam Brown is right now. They considered him. So between the two. Uh, Carter Coughlin is looked to be a really high motor guy, really high mental acumen guy, 
and is going to be giving you a thousand percent every snap of the every snap of the game, and that he could come in and could contribute right now. Cam Brown was looked at at least as a developmental player that needs to learn some of the techniques that you want him to utilize. So between the two, you would expect Coughlin to be first in line to get reps, but I wouldn't be surprised if they use them somewhat collectively and, and say, "Hey, your length here, Cam Brown, might be more effective on a particular down and distance," whereas Carter Coughlin really is going to represent in my mind that O'Shane Ximenez type of guy and that supplemental behind a Marcus Golden. So that's what I would anticipate being the move here, at least especially maybe in the short term. We've seen Tay Crowder get some reps on the defensive side of the ball. I think you could see Carter Coughlin get a look here maybe this week. We'll have to keep an eye on activations around uh, you know, the, the 55 man, 53-man roster excuse me, uh, coming into Sunday against Washington and might be a good spot to get young guys some taste here against a relatively bad team in Washington, especially especially on their offensive side of the ball. So we'll keep our eyes on it. And the way that we can also look at this is in our last segment. Andy, we talked earlier referencing Wayne Gallman getting some reps, and that's where we head to, oh, snap. You get it? (laughs) I see what you did there. That was was clever, Adam. That was clever. Don't worry about me. Uh, On on that side of things, when we go back into this week, so there's actually a very specific player that I want to touch on here because I think it's important when you talk about the evolution of this offensive system. But as I mentioned Goldman earlier, you can just think about that he had 15% of the snaps two weeks ago, 18 this past week. Devontae Freeman, really the past two games, has lived in the 54% range, 37 snaps. Deion Lewis trending slightly down. So what you're probably seeing in the running back room is Gallman is going is has already clearly become the first backup to come off of the off of the uh, sidelines there when Freeman needs a breather and I think you're going to see a trend more in that direction because Freeman is more capable of being a shiftier back and catching the ball in the backfield and Gallman can represent the power for them there that's a nice tip of the hat we also mentioned Ratley 50% of those reps that has to go somewhere be interesting to see and by the way if you're in the if you're in the camp of I'm not a huge fan of Golden Tate It might be interesting to know that he has gone over the last three weeks, 92, 75, 59% of the reps on the field. So he is trending in the wrong direction as we anticipate Mac getting on the field and Shepard coming back from injury. Well, as you can tell, Jason Garrett loves run first offense. On first down, he loves to pound the rock. And and what he's realizing with Deion Lewis is that he is just not a between the tackles runner. That's not what you that's not why you signed Deion Lewis. He's a guy that you want to get out in space, is quick and shifty, and can make people miss on the outside. He's a, he's great at pass catching. But the the problem is, if you're very one-dimensional, then you're already telling the defense what you're going to be doing on that play. And so even trying to trick the defense and playing chess, you're handing the ball off to Deion Lewis against a, a, an offensive line that hasn't been able to run black as effectively as we would like. So like it, it's kind of a catch-22. Deion Lewis has a particular skill set that doesn't necessarily match up how our offensive line is playing and the approach that Daniel Jones has. So he's slowly kind of getting phased out because at least Gallman and Devonta Freeman can give you both dimensions to, to really make the defense think a little bit more. And again, losing Saquon Barkley, right? With Saquon Barkley healthy, Lewis is a beautiful compliment to Barkley. But when you lose him, now you're like, well, how do we make Barkley out of two other guys? And, and Freeman and, and Goldman represent, I think, that combination. And, and to your point, Lewis kind of gets on the outside looking in. Here's the big one for me, man, though. Here's the big one. Shut your beautiful mouth. Here's the big one. Evan Ingram 
over the course of this season, let's do all five weeks for your friends, 94, 97, 85, 84, 81% of the snaps on the offensive side of the ball. It is not a coincidence that over the last three games, Caden Smith's percentages have gone up, as have Toiloa's. Now, can that be predicated on a combination of wanting to give extra protection on the offensive line and help there? It certainly can. I'm not as concerned about Toiloa or you know, even or even or Caden Smith. What I'm well, all I'm looking at is for all the value and the targets and wanting to get Evan Ingram involved. They're very clearly trying to shrink it, shrink how much you're using him and maximize the plays you use him on. Had a great end around sweep, right? Took it for a nice chunk play. Had an opportunity that ends up getting called back due to penalty to have a touchdown as well in the game. But I think that this is Jason Garrett and this offense, maybe just looking and saying, okay, we need to pick our spots with this guy. We need to identify the mismatch, put him in a great position, and tell him to go out there and execute. Do I think he's going to fall down to 50-50 split? No. But I think they're just realizing that when you have them on the field 100% of the time, the 20% that you want to run the ball or that you want to have Daniel Jones drop back and look for some crossing routes through the wide receivers, he diminishes the value there because he's making errors in the pass blocking, the run blocking scheme, and it makes it harder to know, right? What, What they want to know offensively is consistency. That's why we focus on Thomas so much. Consistency. Just try to do and be as even keeled in everything we ask of you. And right now you're not getting that from Ingram. So we're just going to go ahead and shrink the sample size. Well, and and if you think about it, the Giants run game looked pretty competent against a pretty bad Dallas run defense. I mean, they had given up over 300 yards on the ground to the Cleveland Browns the week beforehand. So the Giants are, are identifying, okay, their weakness is the run game. We have not been able to run the ball effectively if we start stacking with Caden Smith or, you know, we bring in bigger bodies on the offensive line, we may be able to establish the run a little bit more. And Mm -hmm. to your point, even though we're moving it down to 81 snaps, you know, Evan Ingram only had two targets, uh, you know, on the, on the outside passing, they were able to get him the ball in space, which is what we think he should be a little bit more, more of. And I have hated the take on Evan Ingram that we need to move him out to wide receiver But when you start talking about Golden Tate moving some of those snaps down and Mm -hmm. we're losing some snaps from Evan Ingram, maybe putting him out wide and putting Caden Smith, you know, in in, in that tight end position to be a little bit more of an effective run blocker gives us a little bit of a different dimension than we have with Golden Tate. So for me, maybe, maybe we're trying to shift things around a little bit and maybe we could get a little bit more creative than what we've been. Interesting to see that that's not a bad thought because you could say if you haven't liked the return on investment from Golden Tate, now you're bringing up Mac, but you still want to create some different looks for defenses. This is where, you, to your point, using Evan Ingram in a flexible kind of role can make sense. And by the way, when you talk about like that jet sweep that they ran with him, that felt very much like what they tried to do on the back end of Odell Beckham's time with the team, right? How do we get the ball into this dynamic playmaker's hands? Let's not worry about traditional route running. Let's just talk about physical ball in hand let's look for a couple of those opportunities throughout the game to do so so that's that's where you start to utilize him and he still does represent a legitimate threat that the defense has to respect if you move him out out wide in the slot wherever it may be even if he's not great at doing it you still have to know that he's there and potentially he's going to turn himself right back into a traditional tight end route after the snap it reminded me of talking to the downtown Rams podcast about how mm. they use their wide receivers and the motion that they create. They have either Cooper cup or Robert Woods or Josh Reynolds constantly moving to create that, that uh, you know, deception pre-snap. And they mm. usually like to hand the ball off to Robert Woods or Cooper cup coming around on those sweeps. And I think to myself, 
if we could start incorporating Evan Ingram the same way that they do their wide receivers, then you don't necessarily even care where he lines up, but just get him in that motion and get him the ball in his hands because clearly, you know, lining him up as a traditional tight end is not working and we're reducing the amount of snaps that we're seeing from him in that regard. Mm -hmm. So let's start doing some creative ways to either get him the ball or get him on the field in a position to succeed. For sure. Other little footnote around it would be Ryan Lewis maxed out almost on the defensive side of the ball, had 97% of the reps there. Yadam down to zero. Corey Ballantyne hasn't seen the field in three weeks. Nothing for Madre Harper in this one either. So something to keep an eye on as we look towards the back end of the week and looking ahead to Washington, just seeing if anybody else is getting a shot here. Is it Harper just getting his feet wet and maybe he'll get a look or or, or the uh, defensive coaches excited and comfortable at least with Ryan Lewis being out there. So those are the things that we'll probably monitor. And it is nice to see as well that Darnay Holmes, who really saw a big drop off in snap count from week one and then through two to four, he's been trending back up again, played in 76% of the snaps this past week. So, you know, listen, uh, remember young players, developing players, they're going to take their lumps. I mean, I, I, I hate to, I hate to be the, Whoa, whoa, everybody all the time. But that's what you, that's how you're supposed to approach this season. I'm excited when we look really good or dynamic or make a big play and I want us to win and I'm going to keep expecting us to be competitive. And also, this is the nature of having a lot of young players at a lot of key positions. Adam, I, I know we're getting consistency, but with Ryan Lewis, it's consistently poor play. Like he's grading out, he's grading out really bad. When you look at it, so it's fine that we're finally finding someone that can stay on the field for, you know, 80, 90, 100 percent of the snaps in in Ryan Lewis. But if he's not playing well, we're still not solving the problem. So to your point, like how long does it take for Madre Harper to to get acclimated? Is there anyone else that we can put in? Like I, I want consistency, too. But when it's just consistently poor, I don't think that solves anything for us. No, and by the way, I'm not I'm not singing the praises of of what Lewis is doing out there, but it is just the reality. I would like to see Harper get a sniff and see what those results are. And again, big picture, following the bye week, if we get back McKinney off injury, that's when you're automatically going to see. Because last thing, I know, everyone loves it when I do stats. But when you talk about those percentages on the defensive side, we are talking about Bradbury playing 100. We know that. And I played 97 snaps. But Logan Ryan is playing 100% of the snaps over the last three weeks. So he's going to be on the field now it's about okay let's start to use you a little more flexibly and that could be saying we're going to put you in the slot for a couple of reps and then Holmes is going to go outside for a handful of reps or as we introduce Madre Harper maybe he gets a little sample here a little look over there so it's unfortunate that so much of our quality reps are all happening in the secondary we know with uh, Peppers coming back off of injury he's going to ramp it back up in this week six matchup with Washington as well so we have our talent pool in the secondary is fairly heavily concentrated at the back end so we're gonna have to wait and see how the defense looks to adjust as you get some health there and hopefully we'll find out more about what's going on with julian love and whether or not maybe are they completely done with him or do they feel the same way that they do about Ballantyne that they do about love that's going to be interesting coming up because ryan lewis has come in he hasn't played much better than Ballantyne did admittedly and Julian Love's kind of getting moved out of that state safety position. Do we try to flip him back over to, to a cornerback position and try to steal some snaps with him there? I think there's a lot of different shifting that the Giants can do because even though there's consistency now, it's consistently poor. Andy, I don't know if there's something you want, need, and demand the people to know, but give it a shot. 
We'll give it our best. As always, let's go Big Blue.